0: I want to invite you to reach for your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16, and we're in the final section, a doxology, here at the end of this book of Romans, and it's also the conclusion of our series that we began last month in October, Creative Access, Persevering to Advance the Gospel in Hard Places. Notice what Paul writes, how he ends... This book in this section in particular. Romans chapter 16 beginning in verse 25 says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We're thankful that we can gather here this morning. We're thankful that we can hear your word proclaimed. We're thankful that we can sing praises to you. And to do so in the company of other Christ followers here this morning. Lord, now prepare our hearts, open up our minds, make us ready to receive your word as it's expounded upon to us. And so use again, Pastor Chris, as he preaches to us, and uh, use him as your mouthpiece, as your servant. We pray this again in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Good morning, LifeBridge. Good to see you here this morning. Well, here we are. We're at the end of our series And we're at the end of the book of Romans. Kind of nice to preach through Romans, just begin in the last two chapters, and there you go. And here's what I want you to see from the passage that Pastor Bruce just read. And it's this, the book of Romans ends with a doxology. And maybe you're saying, Chris, what's a doxology? Well, it's comprised of two words. Doxa means glory and ology means word. It is a word of glory. And the simplest definition that I have found is this. It's a word of glory that makes God look as glorious as he reveals himself to be. It's reflecting back to God his glory in a way that reflects who he really is. Now, we do benediction sometimes and there's benedictions and there're doxologies. A benediction is a word of blessing from God to the congregation. Often begins with may the Lord bless you. But a doxology is a word of glory to God from the congregation. And so you often find them in scripture beginning with to him To him, to him. And what better way to end this uh, series and to celebrate this Thanksgiving weekend together and to usher in the Christmas season than with a doxology that praises the God whom we serve. Now, right now, maybe some of you, maybe many of us are saying, you know what, Chris? I don't feel like praising God right now with a doxology. I've got COVID fatigue really bad. In fact, maybe I've had the virus and and you're still struggling to get over it. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, my Thanksgiving was just so limited. In fact, some of our family traditions were even eliminated. And I know some of us perhaps had to eat Thanksgiving dinner without taste or smell. Now, that is a bummer, you know, when you have Thanksgiving and you can't taste or smell what you're eating. But here's the reality. The storms of life don't stop for a pandemic, do they? You may be dealing with family stress on top of everything that's going on. You may have a health crisis in your home. You may have some kind of spiritual battle that is being waged, and you just don't feel like praising God with a doxology. Perhaps there may be some who have stumbled into sin, and you've become comfortable in that sin. In fact, maybe you've become hardened to the point you're not sure you want to abandon that sin. All this is going on. It's going on around us. It's going on above us. It's going on within us. But here's what I want to remind you. That our times are really no different than the time... In the book of Romans, if we had time, I could take you through all 16 chapters and show you that there are spiritual struggles they were having, relational conflicts they were enduring, political tensions they were facing, satanic attacks. We saw those last week, verse 20, and even doctrinal disputes. We saw that last week as well. Racial divisions, physical groaning, and Paul even talks about in Romans 8, he talks about the fearful anxiety of things present and things to come. So if you're discouraged, if you're depressed, if you're feeling defeated, there is good news for you this morning. And look, even if that's not you, you're like, wow, I'm doing pretty good for a pandemic, Every one of us needs to hear what God is saying to us in this passage. And it's really what we're doing is we're listening in as God, as Paul offers a doxology to God and we get to be included. Now, in just three verses, the Apostle Paul sums up the entire book of Romans, God's entire plan of salvation through history into eternity, And he really sums up the idea of this series. And it's this. God wants to establish you. He wants to establish you so that we will persevere in advancing the gospel for his glory. Now establish or strengthen in your bibles is a very important word and we're going to build on it for the rest of the message so let me give you some simple definitions what does it mean to be established or if your translation has strengthened here's what it means being established means being steadfast and immovable in the storms of life in other words when you are established you're like a lighthouse. The waves crash, the winds blow, and you are steadfast in shining the light in the darkness. It's the ability to persevere in spite of hard places and hard times. Really establishing and strengthening is the idea of perseverance and endurance. And it's the it's being strengthened. If your translation has strengthened, here's the idea. Strengthened. To stand strong in the gospel so that we don't fall away like false believers or false teachers. This is coming here when he's already talked about false teachers that could cause us to fall away. Now the structure of this passage it's not really easy to understand. In fact, I had to work through that all week, and I figured I have a diagram at the back. You can grab one of those. If I had to do the work, I want to share it with others. So you can grab that. You can look at that. And here's why it's hard. This is one complete, this is one sentence. All three verses is one sentence, and there's no verb. Okay, so how you grammarians, how do you diagram something when there's no verb? And it is one phrase after phrase of praise piled on another. So here's how I would explain to you the structure of these three verses. It is like a gospel sandwich with two pieces of glory bread holding it together. You got that image? Here, look at verse 25. Here's the first slice of glory bread. To him who is able to establish you or strengthen you, to him. Then drop down to verse 27, and he identifies who that is. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. Amen. Those are the two slices of glory bread, and in between is the gospel meat of the sandwich. The meat to strengthen you, to establish you in praising our gospel God. Let's look at three reasons within this we find three reasons why we should praise the gospel God even in hard times or hard places. And here's the first reason. We praise the gospel God who establishes us by his ability. By his ability, not your ability, not my ability, but by his ability. Look at these words. To him who is able... To establish you. Man, we could park on that. Live on that. Meditate on that. Maybe you should put that on your mirror. To him who is able. Who is able to establish you. Literally, it is to him who is always able. Continually able. It's in the present tense. Last week's message ended with the same idea. We ended with the idea, learn to depend on the almighty trinity to protect our gospel unity. And here again, Paul highlights God the Father and his almighty ability and power to establish his children to persevere no matter what they are facing. No matter how hard a place you find yourself in. No matter how hard times are. To him who is able... To establish you. And who will God enable to be established and preserved? You. The you there is plural. So we could have an Oprah Winfrey moment here. You get to be established. You get to be established. You get to be established. Everyone gets to be established. And that's good news. Amen. God is able to enable every one of his children to persevere through hard times with an obedient faith. God is able to enable every member of his family in all their diversity. Remember the you that he's talking to are these 35 diverse people that have been mentioned and literally hundreds more that he has referenced. And in all their diversity, in all their difficult circumstances, He is able to establish you. And let me say this. God is able to enable any sinner, any rebel, any doubter, any seeker who is here this morning, if you will only repent and turn from your own resources, from your own way of thinking, from your own abilities... From your own self and turn to him who is able to not only save you, but able to establish you in the gospel. This is good news. This is good news. The spirit is telling us this morning, there is one who is able to strengthen you in the storms of life. There is one who is able to establish you in hard places. During hard times, there is one who is able to make you steadfast, immovable in the storms of life. When the winds blow, the rains fall, and the days are dark, and the clouds of depression overwhelm you, and you think, I can't go on with this, I want to throw in the towel. And God is saying to us here, Only the Almighty God has the ability to enable you to persevere to the end so that you're steadfast and immovable in the storms of life. But how does He do this? And that's the second reason we have to praise our gospel God. He does it by establishing us according to the gospel. According to the gospel. Here we enter into the gospel meat of the sandwich I mentioned. And in verse, the rest of verse 25, all the way down to the end of verse 26, you have these three prepositional phrases that begin with the words, according to, according to, according to. And these three phrases reveal to us how God establishes us with the gospel. So let's take a look at and let's and just remember this when you see according to it means two things in this passage it means the means by which god is going to do something and the measure by which he does it and here's the beautiful thing after emphasizing god's sovereign ability in the beginning of the verse now he shows us this sovereign god uses means to accomplish his purposes, and the means he chooses to use is his gospel. So let's take a look at it. God establishes us according to the gospel proclaimed. Notice what Paul says, the first according to. According to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. God uses the proclamation, the instruction, the exhortation of the gospel in order to strengthen and establish his people. But notice, Paul calls it my gospel. Kind of sounds arrogant, doesn't it? I mean, who you know, Paul, okay, I know you're a great guy, but my gospel? Now, Paul knows very clearly that it is God's gospel. In fact, two times in the book of Romans, right here in uh, chapter 15, he calls it the gospel of God. So he's very much aware that the gospel comes from God, belongs to God, it's sourced in God. But why does he call God's gospel my gospel? Well, I think there's three basic reasons. The first is this, that God revealed it directly to Paul. You see, when Paul was saved, he wasn't evangelized by another person. No, Christ himself revealed himself. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. It was revealed to him. Here's what he says to the Galatians in Galatians 1, 11 through 12. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation directly from Jesus Christ. In fact... It's his gospel. Paul says it's my gospel because Christ himself called Paul to be an apostle and set him apart to the gospel of God in order to take it to the Gentiles and the unreached nations. Here's what Paul says in Romans 1.1, 1, 1, the very first thing he says. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called and as apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Now, I think he says it's my gospel because he was commissioned to be an apostle to preach the gospel. But that's kind of hard for us to relate to. I think there's a third reason why he calls it my gospel, and it's not about his commissioning, it's about his conversion. This is the gospel that saved Paul. This is the gospel that established Paul. This is the gospel that he preached to others. And here's the good news this morning. God's gospel, which was Paul's gospel, can be your gospel this morning. Hey, there's nothing more important for you to ask yourself this morning. Can I say honestly, God's gospel has become my gospel. Amen? This is what it is. Now, what is the gospel? It's easy to throw that word around and not define it. But Paul does define it in the rest of verse 25. He says, according to my gospel, and in case you want to know what it is, it's the proclamation about Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is simply good news of a victory that has been won. That's why it's it's good news. The battle was fought and the war was won. And here he he very clearly tells us who won the battle. It's Jesus Christ. And the gospel is a who and a what. It's who Jesus is. Truly man. Truly God. The son of man and the son of God in the incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about celebrating. The good news is that Jesus is the divine son of God and the sinless son of man who lived in perfect obedience to God here on earth, something no other person has done, but each person must do to be accountable to God. And the good news is what he did with that perfect life. He willingly sacrificed his obedience in the place of sinners like us. He then went to the cross and suffered the wrath that we deserve. And then he rose from the dead victorious over death, over the devil, and over the selfishness of sin that reigns in our hearts. Jesus is Lord and King. That is the gospel. He, listen, he paid the price for all who are willing to come to him, not only for salvation, we're big on that, But also for establishing us with a new heart that loves God and desires to please God. And best of all, has the power to please and obey God. This is the gospel that saved Paul. It established Paul. And it's the gospel Paul preached. It's the gospel he spent 16 chapters explaining And exhorting, and guess what? It can be yours this morning. It can be yours. Listen, beloved, you will never find stability in this world. You will never be established by the things of the world. You can find temporary stability in a job or a relationship or a new home or a new possession. But it won't last when the storms come. Because Jesus warned us, storms come that strip us of all our worldly stability. You may find temporary pleasure in sin for a season. Face it, we all have done that. But then, eventually, you begin to reap what you sow. And the consequences come. And the stability is merely a dream. But maybe you're already saved this morning. Praise God for that salvation through the gospel. But remember this. Remember what we learned in the first message. We learned this. That no one outgrows the gospel. The gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life that we grow out of. It's the A to the Zs of the whole Christian life that we continually grow into. So listen, those who are saved by the gospel will live by the gospel and they will be established by the gospel. But there's a second way God establishes us with the gospel and it's this. According to the mystery revealed. According to the mystery revealed. Notice, here's the next according to preposition. It it highlights this according to the revelation of the mystery, kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. That's how the Christian Standard Bible translates it. Here is another prepositional phrase that begins with according to, and once again, it tells us the means and the measure of what God is doing. But this time, It explains how the gospel about Jesus Christ was revealed to the world. How did it happen? The gospel about Jesus Christ was hidden in eternity past, but has now been revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. That's why Paul calls it a mystery. Now, we're not talking about a whodunit spy novel mystery. It's a biblical term that means a truth that God has hidden and no one can know until God reveals it. It's a hidden truth that must be revealed by God. And here's the mystery. The gospel was kept hidden and no one could really know it or understand it until God revealed it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? Well, I can only show you the tip of the iceberg, the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of Christ is a profound theological truth. And I'm just giving you, let's just center on the person of Christ and let me show you what it means. The mystery is that Jesus of Nazareth is revealed to be the Christ. That had been kept hidden in eternity past from creation Until Christ first appeared. In fact, the apostle Peter tells us that the Old Testament prophets, they knew that Christ was coming. They just didn't know who he was or when he would come. That was hidden from them. But when Jesus of Nazareth showed up on the scene, he is revealed now to be the promised Messiah. He's the promised seed of the woman in Genesis 3. He's the promised son of Abraham in Genesis 12. He's the predicted son of David and son of God. But how do we know? How do we know that Jesus really is the promised one? Well, again, look at verse 26. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures. In other words, made known through the Old Testament. Now here's where you got to put your thinking caps on a little bit this morning. How can be something be hidden in the Old Testament and yet be made known through the Old Testament? Do you see the tension there? It's a it's a big tension. And here's because here's the question, if the mystery of the gospel was hidden until Jesus first appeared, then how can he be made known through the Old Testament prophetic scriptures? Let me give you what i believe are three ways that are three ways to understand this making known first of all unless you study the old testament promises about the coming christ you won't know what to look for if you don't know the pictures the predictions the promises the types the sacrifices of the old testament you won't know the messiah when he is standing in front of you secondly Unless you study the Old Testament promises, you would never know that Jesus is the only person who has ever fulfilled all those promises. You have to know them to know he is the one that fulfills them. And third, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, which is his greatest explanation of the gospel, he says two times that the gospel of Jesus Christ... Death, burial, resurrection is according to the scriptures. And what scriptures at that moment is he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. But you don't have to go anywhere further than the book of Romans. Throughout these 16 chapters, as Paul expounds on the gospel, he repeatedly takes us back to the Old Testament, especially the prophet Isaiah. So even though the Old Testament scriptures don't tell us exactly who the Christ would be, and they don't tell us specifically when he would appear, apart from them, we could never be sure that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. You see, he's the one chosen of God to save us and establish us. There's no other king for Israel but Jesus there's no other light for the Gentiles but Jesus, and there's no other Savior for all of humanity but Jesus. This is the gospel of the mystery revealed in the person of Christ. Now, you might be saying, "That's uh, you know, that's that's great theology. You seem excited about it, but how does that apply to me?" Well, let me give you a, a couple applications. First of all. The gospel is not a man-made religion. It is a God-given revelation. Listen, think through this. We, apart from God, revealing through his word and through the living word of his son, we would have no clue why this world is screwed up, why my life is such a mess, and why sin dominates this world, and more importantly, how I can be liberated from it. Listen, listen. The gospel is not the result of human reasoning. It's the result of divine revelation through the person and the words and the works of Jesus Christ, promised in the old, fulfilled in the new. Let me give you another application. And you might be thinking this. Obviously, you can be saved without first understanding the Old Testament. Can we get an amen? I mean, we'd all be in trouble, right? I mean, my knowledge of the Old Testament when I got saved, well, you couldn't even fit it in. I mean, a thimble was too big for what I knew. Listen, you don't have to know all the promises, all the pictures, and all the predictions about the coming Christ in order to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe me, it helps, but you don't have to have all that. But let me say this to you, and this is what Paul is saying. You will never be established in Christ apart from knowing the Old Testament. And so that leads me to my third application. It's this. It's a warning If a preacher, a teacher tells you to unhitch from the Old Testament that somehow in this gospel age, somehow in this modern age, somehow in this post-modern age, we don't need the Old Testament. You run from them. Or as Paul says in in this very chapter last week, you turn from them and you stay away from them because the Apostle Paul is saying something very different. So here's what I want to encourage you. We're coming up next week on Advent season. Pastor Bruce is going to be doing a series on Advent. Great. Do that. But think through. Maybe you want to read Isaiah during the Advent season. I did that last year, and it just blew my mind. And you need to do it with someone, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. But you can do through the book of Isaiah in, in, the, in, in the month of December. Maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe you want to follow what Pastor Bruce is going to be preaching. Read Luke. But listen, next year, pick a portion of the Old Testament that you've never read, that's unfamiliar. And let me even say this. Those, pick a book that has confounded you, frustrated you, and made you mad when you read it because it was so hard. Keep reading it. Keep reading it. So there you go. There's some application for you. Now, There is a third way. There is a third according to in verse 26. And it's a third way God establishes us. And it is according to the salvation determined from all eternity. According to the salvation determined. Listen to it in the Christian Standard Bible. According to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God. Now, some commentators see that command, they equate it with the Great Commission, and they say, this is the command to us in order to go and reach the nations. And that's a very important truth. I mean, that's, that's why we're doing this series. And that's but I don't think that's what this means. This, according to, once again, tells us the means and measure of what it modifies. And this time, it's explaining us who determined when the mystery would be revealed. The eternal God commanded it. It was his plan. It was his will, the eternal God. It was his will that at just the precise time, Galatians says, at the appointed time, Jesus was revealed. And that's why we have Christmas. Amen? Now listen. Notice what it says. According to the command of the eternal God. Why was the gospel hidden for so many ages? According to the... The command of the eternal God. It was His will. It was His plan. That's why it was hidden for many ages. That's why it was revealed over 2,000 years ago. And that's why the final revelation of Jesus Christ still awaits us at any moment in the future. Now, if you're tracking with me, that answer is not satisfying ...to our human reasoning. It's not satisfying to my human reasoning. After all, it's natural to wonder... ...does God know what he's doing? Was it the right thing to keep the gospel hidden for so long? Was it the wisest thing to do? Did God pick the right time to reveal Jesus as the Christ? Why didn't he do it sooner... Hey, you need to let those questions weigh in on you. Because those are the questions of our age. But I tell you, they are rooted in our limited human reasoning. Because if we reflect on what it means to be the eternal God, we will slowly by faith alone, by grace alone, begin to realize that we are in no position to question or judge the eternal God about this or anything else he does. The eternal God knows more than we do. He's seen it all. We have this little perspective. Limited by our sinful hearts, limited by our foolish human reasoning. The eternal God sees more than we do, and he sees it all at once. Now, you know, sometimes we think, oh yeah, God watches history like a fast-forward on a video machine. But the reality is, no, he 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 just sees it. He sees it all from beginning to end. The eternal God is unchanging, unlike us. He is not one thing today and another thing tomorrow. He doesn't make decisions based on a whim. The eternal God is far more holy than us. In fact, we are not holy at all apart from his gospel. All that God does is holy, just, righteous, perfectly. And here's the other part. And this is very important in this age. The eternal God is far more loving, loving than any of us. He is so loving that is in his infinite wisdom and love, the eternal God determined to reveal the gospel in a way that would fulfill his greatest saving purpose. And it's this, to advance the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles. You see, what seemed like an unloving thing to do was the wisest and most loving thing according to his eternal knowledge and wisdom. In other words, God revealed the gospel in a way that he did to advance the gospel to the unreached. And he did it in a way that saving faith would result in an obedient life. Listen, never question, God has a heart for the nations. He wants all people to hear the gospel, and he uses means to do it. He uses his gospel message, his gospel messengers who go on the gospel mission. He wants to call a people for himself out of every tribe, every nation, every people group, and every language group. And he wants us as his people to get in on that. But to do that, we need to persevere. We need to be established by the gospel. We're established by the gospel to advance with the gospel. How do you do that? Well, that's what this whole series was about. By partnering to advance the message. By persevering to bear gospel fruit. By providing gospel support. By pursuing gospel mobilization of every member by protecting gospel unity and here yes we persevere by praising our gospel god if i could sum up the meat of this gospel sandwich i would sum it up this way we praise the gospel god because he saves and establishes us according to scripture alone by grace alone through faith alone In Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And that's the third reason why we praise him. Notice number three, we praise God who establishes us for his glory. For his glory. Notice Paul breaks off. There's a dash in some of your translations because he's so overwhelmed by the the glory and the goodness and the love and the grace of this eternal God, that he stops and he says, to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Book of Romans, done, but not yet finished. Here is the ultimate reason God has revealed the gospel and is fulfilling the plan of salvation in the way he has done it, it's to bring to himself the greatest possible glory because that is the greatest possible good gift he could give any of us. Listen, missions is not just about the fate of the loss, it's about the fame of his name. John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. God's eternal plan is to fill this planet with people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who will glorify him and offer up doxologies back to him. Matt Redman put this truth to music in the song, Missions Flame. We sing it here. Let worship be the fuel for Missions Flame. We're going with a passion for your name. We're going out for we care. About your praise. Send us out. Let worship be the heart of missions aim. To see the nations recognize your fame. Till every tribe and tongue voices your praise. Send us out. Send us out. Listen. Paul ends his doxology in the entire book of Romans. With the same goal for mission not just not just the fate of the lost yes he wants all the nations to hear but also for the fame of his name and this was all done according to the command of the eternal god here's what i want you to see god's glory is the ultimate goal of the gospel god's glory is the ultimate goal after all who else deserves the glory paul says No one else is greater than the only true God. No one else is wiser than the only wise God. And no one else is worthy to be the mediator between the God, the holy God, and us as sinners. No other name except the name of Jesus Christ by which anyone can be saved. So, there's nothing left. For us to say except amen. Amen. Which means it is true. Amen. It is true. The goal of the gospel is to glorify God through Jesus Christ. With an obedient faith. That perseveres in advancing the gospel to all nations. But amen also means let it be. Not the Beatles let it be. But let it be in me And in all the unrich, let this be true in me and all peoples. Wow. That's that's a word of glory, isn't it? And what better way to end this study and our service than by taking the Lord's Supper together. Amen. I hope you picked up the, the little cup and the bread there at the back. In 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28, Paul says, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread. Surely not packaged like this. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way. He also took the cup, conveniently packaged together, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, we are about to take uh, we are about to picture the gospel. Through the Lord's Supper. The bread pictures his broken body. Broken due to our sin. The juice represents his spilled blood. To atone and cover our sins. It's also a powerful means of grace. God wants to establish you. Through the Lord's Supper. And remind you of the new covenant blessings. That are ours. The indwelling spirit. The forgiveness of sins. But most of all. The new heart of obedience, a living heart. It's a proclamation of the gospel until Christ returns. And it's also a reminder as we come to the Lord's table to pursue gospel forgiveness. Because listen, forgiven people are forgiving of others. And so it's a good time to stop and ask, do I need to be a fresh and anew, forgiven by God. I know I'm secure in Him, but do I need to be forgiven because I've I've failed to confess, I've failed to repent. Now's the time to do that. But maybe you need to offer forgiveness to those as freely as God offered it to you. Well, here at LifeBridge, anyone who has trusted Christ, publicly identified with Christ in believer's baptism and is a member in good standing of a church of like faith and practice, is invited to participate with us this morning. And listen, if you've not yet accepted Christ, then then watch and observe and reflect on where you stand in relation to a God who is eager to save you. And if you're interested in learning more about that gospel or being baptized or looking into our church as a church home, we would love to connect with you. And so just fill out that connection card in the pew in front of you and put it in the offering box in the back. But for us who are about to take this, let's bow our heads and let's just pause for a time. And I would just encourage you to offer up a doxology of praise to the God who has saved you. Heavenly Father, man, these are hard times. But you are the only wise God. So we praise you and we thank you for your saving grace and the gift of eternal life in the gospel, the good news about your son. Now as we eat this bread and we drink the juice together as one body in Christ, may we be reminded again of the mystery of the gospel that has been revealed to us. You have saved us, O God, according to Scripture alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for your glory alone. To you be the glory forever, through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's open your communion packet, and let's partake together.